If you open your Bibles to Philemon and stand with me for the reading of the word, we'll start in verse 8. Therefore, though I have confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I do not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever no longer a slave but more than a slave a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the lord if then you regard me as a partner accept him as you would me please be seated why do we forgive our brothers A man named John Oglethorpe once said to John Wesley, I never forgive. John Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope that you never sin. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. On a secular website, it gave three reasons people don't forgive. Number one, I don't want to send the message that what happened is okay. Number two, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Number three, I can't forgive because I don't trust them. How about that second one? They don't deserve to be forgiven. Do we? If you're a Christian and growing in Christ, what evidence of a vital union with Christ should there be? Good works, a desire to be in the Word, a vibrant prayer life, the fruit of the Spirit. The first one of those is love, which is a sacrificial act. Peace. How can you have peace with God if you don't desire peace with others? Patience, kindness, gentleness, all produce a desire to forgive. 1 Corinthians 13.5 Love is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love covers a multitude of sins, Peter said. All these things suggest a willingness to forgive. And the first question is, does that describe you? The Bible has great examples of forgiveness. Joseph with his brothers. David with Saul. Christ with Peter. And God with all of us. Colossians 3.13 Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you. So also should you. Is your Christianity characterized by forgiveness? You might say, well, I can forgive minor transgressions. 
not major ones. It's a good thing God doesn't think like that. Ephesians 4.32, just like Colossians 3.13, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So in our book of Philemon, Philemon had a runaway slave. And he might have stolen from Philemon. And Philemon could have hunted him down and executed him or tortured him. But what did Paul want him to do? Forgive him. Take him back. Why do we forgive our brothers? Philemon 8 through 17. Number one, do it for love's sake. Number two, do it for Paul's sake. Number three, do it for your own sake. Do it for love's sake, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Onesimus is this runaway slave. And you know, you remember uh, in your study that a slave had no rights. But not only did Paul expect Philemon to spare his life, we know Philemon was a Christian. Not only did Paul expect him to spare his life, but to consider him a brother in Christ and to treat him that way. That's why he had that kind of confidence in Philemon, that Philemon was going to do the right thing. Looking back, verse 1, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Philemon, here's an opportunity to put your faith into action. Verse 4, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. He had prayed for Philemon. Are you surprised when people you pray for bear fruit? I think we expect too little. Verse 5, Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Philemon wasn't a Christmas Eve, Good Friday Christian. He had already demonstrated love and faith toward Christ and the saints. Verse 6, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So this really should be the first point, right? You do it, you forgive for Christ's sake. Let the love of Christ control you, it says. And so if, if that's true, you will forgive. Love is, or this, um, this one, for, do it for Christ's sake, is really an umbrella for the other three. They flow out of a desire to please God. Verse 8, therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, Paul was an apostle. He was Philemon's spiritual father. So he had the authority to order him to do this. Therefore, since you have these qualities, I know I don't need to order you. I know I don't need to do that. How do you motivate people to serve Christ? You appeal to their love for Christ. 
And if that doesn't work, then there's a big problem. Verse 9, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, yet for love's sake. Paul knew that Philemon had an intimate relationship with Christ and he was motivated by love. Love can control your temper. It can guide your reason. It seeks to overcome our worst qualities and develop our best qualities. Under the guidance and in the power of the Holy Spirit, it transformed redeemed men and women more and more into the likeness of Christ. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. Number one, not wanting to be overbearing, which can lead to resentment. Number two, not concerned about the task only, but about the relationship, about the person's spiritual growth. Number three, we want people to develop convictions and a work ethic motivated by love and not fear and guilt. A secular boss can fire, demote, dock your pay. One of the places I worked while I was in seminary was Gladstones for Fish in Malibu. And they, for the least little thing, they'd be in your face. You'd do that again and we're going to fire you. Not the way to lead. But we as Christians lead differently. We serve the God of grace and mercy. If you love Christ deeply, you will forgive others as God has forgiven you. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh, and not forgiving is one of the deeds of the flesh. Love softens our hearts toward those who offend us. Too many act as if Christian maturity only involves knowledge. But without love, what is it? Useless, just a bunch of noise. When we were in Albuquerque, uh, I offended somebody in our church, and I, I, was, I was wrong. I was guilty. And I asked them three times to forgive me. And each time they said yes, but they kept giving me the cold shoulder. And, and that never changed. Why? No humility. No humility. Not concerned with the unity of the body. Humility cries out for peace. Pride cries out for vengeance. If you're growing in Christ, if you're growing in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, that will manifest itself in love. The king of a South Sea island in 1818 became aware, and he he became a Christian, and he became aware of a plot to assassinate him. And they, they seized those wannabe assassins. And they brought them back to the king's village where the, king, the king's enemies saw this huge fire. And they thought, okay, man, they're just going to drop us into this fire and that's the end of us. But uh, instead, the king was throwing a feast for them. This unexpected kindness by the king caused the men to consider Christ. And they were saved, and eventually they burned their idols. 
1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It says above all. It reminds us of the primary place of love in the Christian experience. Keep fervent. Be eager or earnest. This love is capable of being commanded because it's not primarily an emotion. I mean, do you always feel like forgiving? No. But it's a decision of the will that leads to action. Proverbs ten twelve. Hate stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. It doesn't atone for our sins or, or um, broadcast them. We don't sweep them under the rug. It's talking about forgiveness. Love suffers in silence at times, and it bears all things. Christians forgive faults in others because they know the forgiving grace of God in their own lives. Love doesn't cover up sin. It refuses to deliberately expose sin. It stops gossip. It promotes peace and unity. That's why love and controlling the tongue are linked. Love has God's interests in mind. To restore the individual, to protect the church... It's not self-centered. It's not prideful. To not forgive is self-centered. First Paul appeals to Philemon to forgive Onesimus for the sake of love. Secondly, to do it for Paul's sake. Verses 10 through 14. Verse 10. I appeal to you. For my child Onesimus, in whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Another person he had led to Christ. Since I led you to Christ and discipled you, Philemon, and know your love for Christ and the saints, I expect more from you. Verse 11, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Onesimus was transformed. He was a common slave. And it's interesting, his name, Onesimus, means useful. He was useless, but since Christ changed him, now he's able to live up to his name. Useful to both. Onesimus was ready to serve wherever needed. To stay and minister to Paul in that case, probably sending a letter of repentance back to Philemon with restitution. Or going back to Philemon and serve him with greater faithfulness. Verse 12, I send him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart. I mean, this was a hard thing for Paul to do. Paul had his share of people who had let him down, and Onesimus wasn't going to be one of those. And while in prison, he needed a good and faithful man. But to obey the will of God was a greater priority. This would also be for the sake of Paul. 
it would refresh him and encourage him to see Philemon act in love. When you see people forgive someone who's harmed them because of Christ, doesn't that refresh you to see love in action? It would be for the sake of the church to encourage them and to be an example for many. A testimony to the reality of Christ in his life. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 5. Now, he who prepared us for this... Oh, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, starting verse 5. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put to you the test, put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So who are they supposed to be forgiving there? Most commentators believe it's the man and probably the woman from uh, 1 Corinthians 5 who were caught in incest. And this guy has repented. And he wants back in the church and the church is being tough on him. And they're, the, what the church needed to do was to forgive and to love him and bring him back into the fold. What's at stake if you don't forgive? Number one, the spiritual welfare of the repentant sinner. Number two, the testimony of the church. Number three, the spiritual arrogance would continue to beat up on someone who expressed remorse. If my wife hurts me, it takes one thing to make things right. She asks for my forgiveness. I don't say, yes, I forgive you, and then give her the cold shoulder. When mom and dad reconcile, who benefits? Everybody, and and the kids especially. God's forgiveness reaches as far as the east is from the west. God continues to forgive. How many times are we supposed to forgive according to what Tony read today? An infinite amount. Not just seven times. Seven times 70. Just an infinite amount. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to himself so that you too will not be tempted. We don't think to turn people away. We want to restore people by showing forgiveness when they repent. 
And, 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 and until they repent, we don't treat them like an enemy. When people are forgiven and restored to the fellowship, they can be an incredible asset to the body. And I've seen that happen many times. Verse 12. I have sent him back to you in person that is sending my very heart. And Paul loved Onesimus. And, and he knew Philemon would love him too if he would only give him a second chance. How are you at giving people a second chance? I was a, a volunteer for prison fellowship for a few years in New Mexico, and there were a lot of people getting a second chance. You know, people who were really were repented, had repented, and, and were wanting to live a good life and serve the Lord. God delights in giving second chances. This is the character of God in a couple of these verses, Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Micah seven eighteen. Who is, who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He does not retain his anger forever. Are you retaining your anger? Refusing to forgive someone? If so, you're not like God. You're not acting like God. Just as God is patient with and forgiving others, he wants his children to do the same. On the uh, website gotquestions.org, it says there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Many people struggle to find the balance between showing mercy and enabling a harmful person to continue harming. Giving someone a second chance means we give them another chance to earn our trust. But there must be true repentance for reconciliation. You can, for, you can have a forgiving spirit, but if there is no real repentance or remorse, there'll be no reconciliation. Verse 13. Whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Paul affirms Onesimus' transformation. He's the real deal. He has seen spiritual fruit. Finally, even this is a new creation in Christ. Onesimus is not the same person who ran away. If you don't want him, I'll keep him. But you would be missing out on showing the beauty of God's grace. Verse 14. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. Paul wanted Philemon to see the change firsthand. Paul said to Philemon, forgive Onesimus for love's sake and for my sake. And third, do it for your own sake. 
verses 15 through 17. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard him, if you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. A fee me, to forgive, to send away. The complete removal of the cause of the offense. USA Today gave a definition of forgiveness. It said, giving up the right to be aggravated and angry and, a, and the desire to strike back. It's healthy to forgive. Not forgiving can produce a root of bitterness. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that's a command. It's not a suggestion. There was a study of 259 adults who learned forgiveness saw stress and anger and headaches and stomach upsets go down significantly when they forgave. The main reasons to forgive for Christ's sake, for love's sake, for the other's sake, but it also benefits you. It will benefit your health. It will make you a better, more effective Christian. It will open your life up to the blessings of God. Paul isn't putting a guilt trip on Philemon. He just wants him to recognize God's sovereignty. How could Philemon not forgive since they worship the same Lord? He would once again have Onesimus working in his fields, but now there would be a spiritual benefit. When the opportunity to forgive comes along, as you look over the situation, don't forget to factor in God's sovereignty. In other words, what's he trying to teach you? How many lives is he seeking to touch through your response? Verse 17, if then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Act out your faith just as you have in many other circumstances. Don't stop now letting the love of Christ control you. So what did we learn today? Forgiving each other just as God and Christ has forgiven you. And as we just said, it's an imperative. It's a command. And why should we forgive our brother? First and foremost, for Christ's sake. For love's sake. Paul's sake. For your own sake. For the sake of the unity in the church. But forgiveness isn't a suggestion, as we said. It's a command, and while it's not listed as a fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, I believe it is a fruit of the Spirit. If you agape, if you give sacrificial love, if that's what's guiding you, this divine love, if you have patience, if you're kind, those fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves in forgiveness. How do we apply it? 
as you mature in Christ, you will manifest forgiveness. Because as you respond to painful things, wrongs done to you, you won't seek to please yourself but God. You'll do it for Christ's sake, to bring glory to God. I've said these things in in Sunday school before, but, you know, in Albuquerque, when I was leaving there in 1997, people were saying bad things about me and saying I was abusive and harsh as a pastor and all these things. And one guy told a bunch of people, hey, you want to know what Bill Nesbitt's all about? Just read Churches That Abuse. And so some people believe that. And uh, then we went on five years in Nevada and probably two years into my time in uh, Wisconsin, some of these people who had heard these things got to know the guy who was spreading those rumors and saw that that probably wasn't true. Two of these guys called me and seven years later and just said, we're wrong. Can you ever forgive me? I said, my pleasure to forgive you. What a, what a privilege to do that. The one guy in, in Wisconsin who, man, we were going at it. We just were not getting along, and it had the, it had the potential to hurt the church. And uh, one of the elders said, well, i got to get you two together and, and work this out. And, and, I, and the guy I was having a problem with and, and myself, we said, we don't need you to do that. We're going to do it. And we just sat down, didn't point fingers at each other. We just said, I'm sorry for my part. He said, I'm sorry for my part. And we worked through it, and we're good friends today. The, the, um, the doctor in our church who um, molested people in the recovery room, he went to prison for five years for that, repented of all that. But his wife, you would think his wife would say, well, that's it, I'm, I'm leaving. She said, all I need to know is that he's repentant. And he was. And he's been out of prison now for maybe five or so years, and they have a great marriage. The woman in Virginia, whose daughter was murdered, that man went to prison. She went to prison, led him to Christ. Many years later, you know, after he had served his time, he was going to get paroled, but nobody would take him, and she brought him into her home like a son. You say, Pastor Bill, you don't know what this one person did to me. You can't expect me to forgive them. Okay? There's some horrible things being done to others in this world. But we know what Christ said. They will know you're my disciples by what? By what? By your love for one another. And for non-believers... What a great testimony to your love for Christ to love your enemies. So here are a couple of questions for you to consider to take away. Number one, do you have that kind of love that can forgive terrible offenses? Number two, is there someone in your life right now that you need to forgive? Maybe even someone in this church. Do not let Anger and bitterness cripple your walk with Christ, and it will. Let 2024 be a year of spiritual growth. Um, Demonstrate that with a willingness to forgive. One more thing, one last thing before we close. 
when Anita Smith's husband, Ronnie, was murdered in Libya, I think back in like 2010, they were Christians. He was over there teaching chemistry, but sharing Christ with people in that Muslim country, and then he was murdered. She wrote an open letter to her husband's killers, and it goes like this. To his attackers, I love you and I forgive you. How could I not? For Jesus taught us to love our enemies, not to kill them or seek revenge. Jesus sacrificed his life out of love for the very people who killed him, as well as for us today. His death and resurrection opened the door for us to walk on the straight path to God in peace and forgiveness. Because of what Jesus did, Ronnie is with Jesus in paradise. Jesus came not only to take us to paradise when we die, but also to bring peace and healing on this earth. Ronnie loved you because God loves you. Ronnie loved you because God loved him. Not because Ronnie was so great, but because God is so great. Anita forgave the men who killed her husband. She forgave them because Jesus forgave us. This is a forgiveness and a love that makes no sense to the world. But it's a forgiveness a relationship with Christ produces and requires for those who name the name of Christ. And what we find in many churches is people unwilling to forgive over petty arguments, over minor transgressions, over a loss of power. But God wants us to forgive. God wants us to be humble. So in 2024, if there's an opportunity for, to forgive, if there's somebody out there that you've been unwilling to forgive... Forgive that person just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, we, we have a long ways to go in our maturity. And there are situations where, you know, we just think, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I can't forgive this person. You know, it's, it's too painful. But what did we do? We were rebels. We, you know... We, we rebelled against your law, and yet you died in our place and allowed us to have a relationship with you. So we need to do whatever we can, especially for our brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, to, for the unity of the body, for Christ's sake, for the testimony of the church. And we're to love our enemies. And if we love our enemies, as Anita Smith says, she forgives because... God forgave us. Help us to live like that, Father. Amen.